I'm Sean Hogan and this is The Good Guys Podcast. In this episode, counsellor and psychotherapist Paul Wilson talks us through all things counselling. Ultimately this is about empathy, about being able to put yourselves in the shoes of the other person and kind of imagine what is it like to look out through their eyes at the world and have the experience they have. He gives us tips and tricks on how to get the most out of the experience. Generally speaking, the things that you um, most don't want to talk about are the things that you would most benefit from talking about. And why more men should take up the challenge. I see that as real heroism. Like, we're changing the story so that our sons and our daughters can actually have a different experience of men in their life where men are emotionally available. Hey guys, just a quick note from me. I'm going to put some numbers of helplines and websites in the show notes of this episode, so if these topics do raise anything for you that you want to talk to someone about, then you can get the help that you deserve. And now, let's get into it. Well, Paul Wilson from the Ponsonby Therapy Centre, thank you for coming on the podcast. Um, How are you? Oh, I'm I'm glad to be here. It's lovely to actually kind of put a, a face to the voice, although the viewers won't be getting, well, the listeners won't be getting that, but I am. Awesome. Awesome, Paul. Well, you are a counsellor by trade. Um, could you explain to me what what is a counsellor? What is the purpose of your profession? Well, I mean, I'm both a counsellor and a psychotherapist, so I guess that kind of comes into the context as well, as we can talk a bit about what the difference is between the two. But essentially speaking, a counsellor is someone who's trained to help people make sense of and work with emotional and behavioural symptoms they're having that are unwanted or distressing in some sense. That's, that's the usual reason that someone would seek out a counsellor. Right. And you mentioned they're a trained person. This isn't just your mate. This isn't just someone down at the pub. It is someone who has studied for quite a long time. Could you run me through the sort of qualifications that it takes to be a counsellor and how long you studied for? Okay, well, in New Zealand, actually, the term counsellor isn't a protected term at the moment. So you're right, anyone can actually say that they're a counsellor, but to belong to like a professional organisation like the New Zealand Association of Counsellors, you have to have actually done two to three years at least of actual training as a counsellor, doing a bachelor's in counselling or a master's in counselling, because, yeah, there actually is a, a set of things that you need to know to make this like a safe and... Um, supportive and professional kind of place for someone to actually be able to do the work they need to do in a safe way and kind of feel supported. Yeah. Could you run me through some of that? What what the study's like? Is it a mix of theory and practical or, or what was your experience? Yeah. Um, I mean, I actually trained as a psychotherapist, but there's a lot of overlap. So often, yeah, that is a lot of kind of theory to kind of like understand what goes on with people and to kind of make sense of the therapeutic process. And then, yes, there is actual work initially um, and in, in the psychotherapy training, you're working at being a therapist for your fellow colleagues who are training alongside so that you actually get a sense of what it's like to be kind of the person who's being offering the counselling. And you're also, you know, talking about things of your own and getting a sense of what that feels like from both sides so and that that and then that continues and then eventually like after at a certain point in the training at least at AUT you're then in the psychotherapy clinic where you're actually starting to see clients for the first time along with kind of supervision and so that's normally the process that there's a mixture of both theory and the practice because you know in theory theory and practice are the same in practice they're different okay great great and, and how long would that process take how long did you study for 
Okay, I studied part time because I had other kind of work commitments. So that meant it was a seven year process for me, like it would have normally if I'd gone at it full time been three years. Um, but you know, I, I had other things I was doing. So a lot of people these days often are doing like kind of part time training because they've got other work and family commitments. So yeah, it can be either like three years full time or six or more part time. Um, and in some respects, actually not rushing the process is good. Like, you know, I, I don't regret that, um, you know, that it was a longer journey for me. I think it all kind of gives you more experience. Mm -hmm. um, and, and you spoke before in that training about you, you practice, I guess, on each other. What, what sort of initially, what sort of, what sort of person did you find is drawn to the, the profession of counseling? Um, well, a lot of people who are drawn to the profession of counselling or therapy often have in their background things that were difficult in their own life um, that you wanted kind of help with and you may have already had an experience of counselling and psychotherapy and that was definitely true for me and you're kind of curious about people and you want to kind of understand initially it's it might be understanding your own context but then you want to understand how it is for other people and like you develop like a, a sense that people struggle in the world and they need help and you needed help and like you're kind of paying it forward to a certain extent um, and you know i think there's a real asset particularly for counselors and therapists you've been on both sides of the situation you know what it's like to kind of step into the room for the first time and think oh you know how's this going to go what's this going to be like what am i supposed to say like it's 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 really important to actually know what that feels like and probably a, a thing to make um, blatantly obvious is that all counselors don't all have their life together right everybody's in the same boat yeah yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. You don't have to have your life perfectly sorted out. I mean, that's just not realistic. Um, you know, everyone kind of has certain struggles and it's really just kind of, you know, learning the things that work for you to help you manage those and to have a certain kind of resilience. Yeah. But if their life was perfect, they wouldn't be able to relate to you, right? Exactly right. Yeah. Mm. There's a lot to be said for kind of understanding where someone's coming from and going, yeah, yeah, me too. Like I've mm. been there and you, you can understand that. Whether you actually disclose that with the person or not, that's a whole different story, mm. um, but just having a sense of what that's like. Because mm. I mean, ultimately this is about empathy, about being able to put yourselves in the shoes of the other person and kind of imagine what is it like to look out through their eyes at the world and have the experience mm. they have so that you can tune into that. Yeah. Okay, so when should you start seeing a counselor or a therapist? Do you need to wait for something to feel like it's wrong or do you need to be feeling down or struggling with something? When would you recommend seeing someone? It's a good question. I mean, to a certain extent, um, the decision to see a counsellor is often not an easy one for people, um, particularly for men. Um, there's this idea that you want to try and figure it out yourself first and to get to the place where you have to kind of put your hand up and go, look, I'm struggling with this. I can't figure it out my, with myself or, you know, something's just happened in my life and I'm finding it really hard to kind of bear. Um, that's not often an easy decision for people to make. I, I think it's easier for some people than others. Um, but generally people don't kind of seek counseling and therapy for fun, or, but I'm, I'm, I'm kind of being facetious. Definitely, there are some people who find that just having a space where they can talk about what's going on in their life um, is actually really helpful. Often that's more towards the end of counseling and therapy where you go, I don't 
need to be in kind of counseling and therapy. I feel my life's kind of really going a lot better now, but there's just something about coming here and having a time for me to make sense of what's going on in my world that, that really still helps me kind of get on with life. And just to kind of grapple with like, you know, life's a strange thing. Like um, I want it to feel more meaningful. Like sometimes rather than there's this real big burning problem that I'm grappling with, I, I'm just not feeling fully fulfilled in my life. Like it doesn't seem to be quite going the way I want. That's a reason people can actually seek out a counselor and a therapist to figure out what that's about. Um, so that's kind of different from there being something, you know, like a, like a crisis or something really wrong. It's more just a hunger for something deeper. Mm, mm. But ultimately, do you see more people coming into your practice who who are, are in a state of mental distress or are in in depression or feeling anxiety? Is that the the, the majority of people that come in? Yeah, I mean, those the most common reasons that people seek out counseling or therapy is, yeah, depression and anxiety and, and relationship difficulties. Those are the kind of the big three um, that kind of lead people to sort of reach out and go, I need some help. Now, sometimes um, it, they were sent, like someone sort of said, look, you know, I've, I've, this is not going well, or, you know, you're really difficult to be around. Um, you need to go and see someone. So sometimes people turn up in the office and they're not really sure they need to be there or they're still not too sure about that. Um, so, you know, it, it is a bit of a mixture. Um, but generally speaking, people are in some kind of distress, sometimes like, you know, quite significant distress. Sometimes actually it's they can see it's it's been there for a while and it's getting worse and before it gets to be a crisis they've decided to kind of take a step forward first mm -hmm. rather than letting it get really bad and you know uh, i support that but mm. people need to come when they're ready um, mm. to a certain extent as well like it's got to be the right time right and so before you get into that off that that therapy room or that office you need to i guess choose someone and so how do you go about potentially contacting someone or or picking a counsellor? Do certain counsellors specialise in different areas, say depression, anxiety, different mental um, illness? Yeah, yeah, they definitely do. But in a sense, although I don't, I don't want to trivialise them, but depression and anxiety and relationship difficulties are kind of like the common cold of um, sort of counselling and psychotherapy, that they're really common concerns, that all therapists and counsellors are therefore trained in dealing with. Um, then you do get into kind of like specific things like people who have had kind of trauma or sexual abuse or they're grappling with addictions of some kind. Like those are kind of specialties. But the most common concerns like depression and anxiety and relationship challenges, like that's really kind of any therapist, which if anything, I guess, makes the search harder because how do you choose? And the way most people, you know, in the past used to figure out who they would go and see is they would maybe try and find someone they knew who'd seen one before and ask. But, you know, now we have this lovely thing called the internet. So generally people Google and there are sites online like Talking Works in New Zealand, which is like a, a big website with like lots and lots of counselors and psychotherapists all across New Zealand. And so that's a really popular resource. But if anything, you get hit with a paradox of choice. Um, there's like so many choices. Mm. And so how do you pick the right person? And that can be pretty challenging mm. because, you know, you look at their profiles and go, oh, should I be looking for a particular specialty or, you know, should I, how do I figure out what all their trainings mean? It, it, it's, it's pretty confusing. I, I do, I do get that. And to a certain extent, the biggest issue actually 
and what predicts outcomes in counseling and therapy is whether you kind of click and have a good relationship with the person. And that's really hard to assess from just looking at a profile, although you can get it from, you know, maybe they talk about themselves or uh, say a little bit about their background and you can, you can get a sense of them. And often there's a photograph, so you at least know what they look like, which kind of helps. You can kind of make a picture of them and then you either email them or you talk to them over the phone. And like all counselors and therapists are perfectly happy to have a, a phone conversation or to exchange an email or two with you for you to get a sense of this is what I'm looking for help with. And also like the first session is, is kind of an interview for both of you where they're assessing you and getting a sense of what you're, what you're looking for help with and whether they feel that they can do that. And you're trying to get a sense of them. It's like, is this someone I think I could get to a place where I feel comfortable opening up with them. I mean, you may not get there in the very, very first session, but you come away thinking, yeah, this is someone I could see myself being able to actually talk about what matters to me, which is usually moving towards things that are vulnerable and kind of challenging to talk about. And that that is part of the process. So it's really important that you have that sense of this person fits with me. And that's a lot about them as a person. It's not really about their training or their qualifications. It's just whether the two of you, in some sense, are a good fit, like you're a good match for each other. Yeah, and on that first session, which, you know, for a lot of people will be incredibly intimidating and they may have made the step to to seek counselling, how would you suggest someone prepares for something like like their first session? Because they might not be sure what the problem is or be able to articulate what the problem is. They just know that there might be a problem. So what would your advice be to approaching that first session? Well, to a certain extent, all you actually have to do is show up. Like this idea that there's maybe a whole bunch of things you're supposed to do before you step into the room, that you have to have this clear, succinct statement of what your issue is, like that's really not necessary a lot of people like you say are not sure about all that yet and as counselors and therapists we know like you know usually our job is to help you kind of get over that initial kind of sense of sort of struggle and kind of anxiety and you know maybe you're a bit embarrassed about saying the right thing or the wrong thing and if it helps you to kind of feel a bit more soothed maybe you can make a list of questions that you want to ask the counselor or ask the therapist that will be the things that you need to hear to be able to actually settle and be able to find that, okay, this is a relationship I can feel safe in. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever you might need to know. So it, it could be a, a, you could just talk, you could just say whatever you're feeling. Are you as a counselor also assessing the person in a way are you asking sort of questions that that might um bring out issues that will potentially help the the therapy process absolutely absolutely like in those kind of first few sessions um as the counselor or the therapist you're probably more active in asking questions more than you might kind of further on like initially yeah we are kind of teasing out what's kind of going on for you and checking in like is it this is it that like we're trying to assist you to get to that place. We're not going to just leave you sitting there kind of like with no words, getting more and more anxious. Absolutely not. Like mm -hmm. we're here to make the process work for you. And so we're going to be leaning forward to help you um, get out what you need to say, even if that takes a little while. Um, yeah. Because yeah. like sometimes you're not even quite sure why you're there or quite what's wrong yet. 
and or you've that's been all forced okay. there, like you said. Or you've been forced there, and it's like, okay, you know, we might ask you, well, okay, um, why have you been sent here? And they might say, oh, well, this is what's going on. It's like, okay, well, what, what's your take on that? Like, maybe you don't agree. Like, and we can explore that. Mm. Um, so there's no set of right things you have to say or do. Um, I think people can feel like that, that I, I need to kind of, you know, follow a particular script and be a good client. And it's exactly no, like it's the therapist and the counselor's job to help you get that out. And we're not going to leave you kind of stranded. Um, I mean, some people have a picture of kind of like how particularly psychoanalysis used to be where the kind of uh, the therapist or the, or the psychoanalyst was just kind of this blank screen that kind of doesn't say very much. And you kind of, there's just all these awkward silences and it's like, we don't generally practice that way anymore. Um, we haven't for a really, really long time. Mm. And because it's just not helpful when people are on edge, you know, it's a pretty nerve wracking thing for the first time. Yeah. And we spoke before about that relationship and the, the importance of getting that person that clicks. How do you, f how would you say after that first session, do you figure out if you're compatible or not do you do you, how long would you expect it to take would you know after the first session or is it or is it simply you've got to go with your gut in a way well actually yes i think you should go with your gut you should go with how you feel because i mean ultimately like our feelings are the instrument um i mean it may be like your experiences that you do find it difficult to open up and trust people so okay maybe you might not want to give up um, just kind of straight away, like you might want to try a couple of sessions. And also, if you're finding it a bit difficult, or there are some things that the counsellor or therapist said that didn't make sense to you, or you didn't understand, or you found a bit difficult to hear, to actually try sharing that with them if you can, like, you know, if you can, and see if that's something that the two of you can sort out together. Mm. Um, but ultimately, if you've gone for a couple of sessions, and in your gut, you just don't really feel that this person gets you, or you don't quite understand, then you know, try someone else because like the research shows that about 30% of therapy relationships like just don't quite click. Um, and that's not because they're a bad therapist. It's not because you're a bad client. It's just about the particular kind of chemistry between the two of you. It just doesn't pan out. I mean, kind of like, like we can't be friends with everybody. There are some people we feel comfortable with and some people we don't. So you might've just been unlucky and hit someone where the two of you just aren't quite on the same wavelength for a whole bunch of reasons or just about their background or just how they are as a person. So, you know, don't give up, like um, try someone else because odds on, you know, lots of people you get lucky and like, you know, you've got a 70% chance that it's going to be fine. And in fact, actually, I mean, it's 30 that don't kind of quite click. There's about another sort of, you know, 30 to 40 where it's, it's absolutely fine. And then there's another 30 or 40% where there's actually a real kind of connection with the person and you feel quite comfortable, quite easy. So it may actually turn out better than you're imagining as well. But if it doesn't feel right, don't feel like you have to stick with it. Um, and, you know, if you kind of go to that first session and you don't feel it, you know, really works with that particular counselor or therapist, we're not going to be offended if you say, look, you know, this just doesn't feel quite right for me because we get it too. Like we're, you know, you know, we're not, we're not, we, of course, we all want to think that we can help everybody, but we know that we can't. So we're not going to be offended. And if it's actually a really good sign for someone to actually go, I'm going to do what feels right for me, because that's really important. So we would encourage that, you know. Right. No, that's, that's awesome. And so what techniques are you using as a therapist and a counselor through, 
throughout your sessions when you're starting to get into it a bit more? Um, well, to a certain extent, like I kind of have two answers to your question, which most counselors and therapists don't really approach it that kind of mechanistically. Like, you know, there's a set of techniques and you're under our microscope and, you know, um, we're trying to figure out. It's, it's a bit more, you know, when you're doing the training, initially you're very, very conscious of, okay, there's particular techniques I'm meant to use. But then once you're actually getting experience with clients, it's kind of like you forget about technique and you're just really kind of in, in the moment with them doing what you feel is kind of necessary. But yes, there are some techniques that we're kind of trained to use until hopefully they kind of become second nature, mm. which is, you know, for a start, being non-judgmental um, so that people can talk about things that they're not necessarily like, you know, proud of or find difficult and that they're not going to be judged or shamed. And so it's, it's a warm place where they can be feel safe to like share tender parts of themselves um, not that you have to do that straight away sometimes it's a process before people get there so it's about fostering that kind of environment so we're going to be listening really really carefully to all the things you say we're going to be looking at your body language and getting a sense of like what's maybe going on for you if things start to um you know get too overwhelming for you we're going to slow down and give you a chance to kind of like recover your composure because sometimes things happen in therapy and we get to quite tender places and it's like you know we're sensitive to that we're not looking to have you be overwhelmed because that's not helpful but at the same time we're also going to be encouraging you to actually share the things that are really going on inside you uh, and checking that we're hearing you right and understanding you right and that you understand us and so those are all kind of communication skills I mean you can kind of they kind of often sit under the umbrella of what we call active listening. Um, I don't know if you've come across the term. And, and that's not just something that, you know, therapists kind of and counselors use. It's a thing they're all often like teaching our clients themselves so that they can use it in their own relationships and friendships because they're kind of human skills as much as anything. Um, yeah, so, I, I, you know, those are the sorts of techniques we might use. Mm. And will but be generally, it's not technique focused per se. Right, right. And so do you, can you also suggest things that people, it's not just about talking face to face in the session, there's also things you can give people that will be a, a tool for them to use potentially um, outside of your sessions. What, what are some of those? Well, I mean... There's a number of different things, like often like teaching people relaxation exercises, like when you're kind of grappling with like anxiety, knowing like a number of techniques around breathing and relaxation, like those are often really, really useful to give people things that can take the edge off in the rest of their life and give them a bit more of a sense of control. Often we're also doing what's kind of called psychoeducation, we're sort of giving people almost like an owner's manual for the human mind and the human emotional system to kind of understand what goes on inside people and like, you know, what different emotions are and how they express themselves because we don't necessarily get that growing up. Um, you know, especially if you've not been encouraged to be like in touch with your emotional world, which is what a lot of guys get. It's like often for a lot of men, they go, well, I, I know when I'm feeling good and I know when I'm feeling bad. And that's really about as much language as I can give to it at this point in my life. Um, so starting to kind of go, well, okay, this bad that you talk about, what does it feel like? Where do you feel it in your body? And start to kind of build um, an emotional literacy or, or a language to actually start to talk about what's inside, because sometimes it's the first chance you've had a, you know, an ability to actually do that and to kind of go, oh, okay, that's sadness, you know, or that's, you know, 
grief and you know that's embarrassment and like all those kind of you know oh okay this is what i'm feeling and then be able to think about why might i be feeling it um, and then you're able to share that with the people in your life so i mean a, a lot of guys get the message that you know you can feel any strong emotion you want as long as it's anger you know that's that's kind of the only emotion that that is kind of considered manly in some sense or at least historically i hope that's mm-hmm. changing in the world but I mean, growing up, I got a lot of that. I think a lot of guys get a lot of that. And so being close to other emotions and and kind of feeling okay expressing them is not necessarily easy. Um, We can use anger as the place we go for most things. Um, When actually underneath that anger might be a whole lot of different feelings, um, often ones that we're less comfortable admitting to feeling or even realizing we're feeling. Right. So there's a whole range of tools you can sort of provide someone to to implement in their in their daily life. It's not just about the the talking it out and getting it off your chest, right? Yeah, which is not to say that sometimes that's exactly what it is. Um, I mean, different kind of schools of kind of counseling and therapy have different kind of approaches to how much homework they give. Um, like, you know, and that really comes down to the particular kind of school or philosophy the therapist comes from. And, you know, the outcome research says for people who like kind of having the homework to take home and do, that works. And for people, it's like, actually, I just want to come and talk about what's going on for me. And that's what's important. That's absolutely okay, too. Um, so usually that's like a negotiation between you and your counselor or therapist is like, you know, you might say, look, I want to have certain tools. And I totally get that. We all like to have particularly guys like trying to know okay well this is what i can do in these situations and like how should i talk to my boss about this and oh you know how do i be a better parent or how do i you know talk or be more intimate with my partner like there's definitely kind of things and kind of tools we can give you around that if if that's what you think will be helpful And this sort of leads me to the to the next question of how much responsibility is on the person in counseling versus the counselor Hmm. Well, that's an interesting question. Like, of course, a lot of responsibility for it being like a safe um, environment to be vulnerable. And of course, that's all on the counselor and the therapist to make that a place where you're able to do what you need to do and say what you need to say. So yes, there's a lot of responsibility on them. And in some sense for kind of managing the process and having the roadmap, yes, that's the, that's the counselor or therapist's job. Um, so that you can just kind of let go a bit and kind of, you know, get some guidance. But you're not wrong that it is a like it's a co-creation. That's kind of a fancy word. But effectively, it means that to a certain extent, you get out of therapy what you're willing to put into it. And that's where I'm saying that that's one of the other big factors for like you know, people having good counseling outcomes is actually being in a place in your life where you're ready to change. Um, or at least you're willing to entertain the idea of change, put it that way, <laughs> so that you're, you've got some skin in the game, you're willing to actually take a few little risks in your life and actually take some of the things that you learn in counselling and therapy and transfer them outside the therapy room. Mm. So in a way, like counselling and therapy, it's kind of like a dress rehearsal for life. Um, at some point, you know, you do need to kind of like try it out on stage, so to speak. And you need to be at a, in a space in your life where you feel ready to do that. Mm. And w- people aren't always there when they first come to therapy. Um, sometimes they want to figure out, well, I'm ne- not necessarily sure I have a problem yet, or I don't think it's big enough that I really want to change really important parts of my life that, you know, I'm quite attached to. So, you know, you may be talking through that for a bit, but ultimately, 
you won't get out of counseling and therapy what you might get if you're not at all ready to kind of entertain any of that. Mm -hmm. And sometimes people just aren't ready yet. Um, and we get that and that's kind of okay. Um, well, I mean, when I say it's okay, it's kind of like, well, we accept that. We, we would wish for more than that. But, you know, you've got, in that sense, as much a part to play as, as the counsellor or the therapist does. In talking about those outcomes, this is probably a question that a lot of people want to know, but it's probably something you can't answer, is, is how, how long does it take to start seeing some sort of result? Okay. Generally speaking, um, yeah, because that's all we can do here is kind of talk in generalizations, but most people actually start to feel some benefit within the first few sessions most of the time. Like I'm not saying like, like it's the problem solved, but they feel a little bit easier, like they have some hope, like it starts to feel. So like quite early on, you should start to feel some shift. But it really depends like where they're kind of starting from. Like if you're really, really depressed and it's been really painful and there's been a lot going on for you, it might take a little bit longer. Um, but generally speaking, people actually start to feel some improvement like relatively soon. Um, but then, you know, that, that doesn't mean the journey's over. It means the journey's beginning. But it's nice to know that actually I might actually be feeling a little bit less kind of distressed in the world quite early on when you're starting to feel a little relief is that an excuse to stop it's it's not is it no no generally speaking um i wouldn't i mean we kind of call that the flight to health like coming and opening up and starting to share like the parts of yourself that you know um are difficult to talk about and you know you start to feel a little bit better and it's like okay can i just stop now because you know there is more things that i haven't had the courage to talk about yet and maybe I don't need to, maybe I'm good now. Like maybe I can just, you know, park it and, and, you know, not talk about that. But generally speaking, the things that you um, most don't want to talk about are the things that you would most benefit from talking about. But I mean, if, if it was easy, we'd all be doing it right. So, you know, it does take mm. time to kind of get to that place, but you know, I would hope that people only kind of leave kind of counseling and therapy when they feel that they're not really getting um, a direct benefit from it anymore like they were before, that maybe you and the counselor or the therapist, maybe it feels a bit more like, you know, you enjoy their company and you like talking to them, but you're more chatting now, like, or it's a different kind of relationship. I mean, that's a sign that maybe actually your need for therapy is ending. Um, maybe you still want to come, that's great. But that would be my sense of just because I've started to feel a bit better, um, often what will happen is you'll leave and then maybe the, the impact the therapy was having you kind of recedes and now you're feeling, oh, I can't go back now, I left. Like that then kind of gets into a, as a barrier between you and kind of coming back to the therapist. Not that we wouldn't be really happy to hear from you, but it might be hard for you to come back. Yeah. And I guess we do have to talk about the other side of this. What have you had or... What do you do when it simply seems to not be working? Is there a referral to further mental health services? What's the process around that? Well, I mean, it depends, I guess, who's, whether it's the therapist or counsellor or the client who has the sense that it's not really working. I mean, if it's the client, I mean, if you're kind of thinking, I've been coming here for a while, this isn't quite clicking, this isn't quite working for me. 
like being able to actually sort of say that to the counselor or therapist because if it's not working for you we want to know like we're not going to you know get really offended and well i would hope not like it would be unprofessional if you come to us saying like a little bit of this isn't quite working for me i mean of course we want to make it work for you so we'll probably be really really happy to have that kind of honesty because it it might cue us into something about your experience that we've been missing and that we haven't noticed and you want to key us in, we're usually really, really grateful to have the opportunity to repair that. On the other side, if, I mean, if we as a counsellor or therapist feel things are not really helping, I mean, it might be because we have a sense that maybe there's a bigger issue here, like um, around like addiction or something that's kind of interfering with the therapy process, which we would maybe share with you. Um, it might be we think, look, this is a specialty, like what you're grappling with is I've now realized is something that maybe you'd benefit from having someone who specializes in it. So we would help you make a referral, but we're not just going to like you know, abandon you and leave you in the lurch because that would be unprofessional. It would be talking about with you, that with you and actually explaining that and then seeing what you think. Um, yeah. Does that make sense? That, that really does make a, a lot of sense. And I want to talk to you uh, personally now about about the results that you get from your clients and how rewarding is it from from your perspective as well as the client's perspective when they get those results. Um, it's really moving for us as a therapist. Well, personally, I mean, I guess I can only speak for myself, but I mean, I also know kind of hearing my colleagues talk about this is seeing someone get to a place in their life where they can really be themselves and you can see that kind of self-acceptance because I think your relationship with yourself, how you feel about yourself has such a profound impact on you and all your relationships. And when you see someone kind of starting to flourish and feel more free to be themselves, it's really moving. Like I find it really moving. And often that's because sure, I've maybe been the catalyst for some of that, but the person who's taking the learnings or the deepening understanding and working through things and going out and doing it in the world, like that's the client. They're the one that's doing the work. And so I usually feel I'm like very proud of where they've come to. And, you know, I hope, I mean, I often share that with them. And, you know, I think that's, you know, your therapist or your counsellor, you know, the idea is that it's not just a professional relationship. Um, I mean, you're paying for our time, that's true, but the care that we start to feel for you, like that, that's real, like that's genuine, that's not, we're not just paid to say it, and usually I would hope that that comes across, um, yeah, yeah, it's usually quite a moving thing to see, and it's a real privilege. Um, awesome, and so we're talking to men here primarily, um, and their partners probably who are listening in, maybe thinking that this could be a good idea for them to 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 take up some counselling services. What are what are the common issues that you see men coming in with these days? Well, I mean, it is things like depression and anxiety and relationship difficulties, but sometimes the way that that looks for men is different. Like often our picture of depression and even to a certain extent anxiety is as withdrawal but as I was saying before like as men we're often kind of taught growing up that like sadness and fear are unmanly and so a lot of men will express what would you know what would be kind of depression or anxiety but they do it in an angry way like they get irritable 
um, they kind of will occasionally say hurtful things. They'll they'll lash out or withdraw. And I mean, these are good men, but they're behaving in ways that aren't ideal and that they're causing issues in their work or in their relationships. And often they're not proud of them either, but it's quite an irritable, angry way of sort of expressing depression. So, I mean, that's, I guess, one of the things about men is that often growing up, we aren't really encouraged to talk about our feelings. Like, you know, the first rule of man club is you don't talk about feelings. The second rule of man club is you don't talk about feelings. And so, I mean, you, you get that message growing up and it makes it really challenging for men mm. when things happen in their life and they feel they're not living up to this masculine code, which is we're meant to be independent and fix everything ourselves. And, you know, the last thing you would ever do is show vulnerability because that's kind of seen as weakness, which is really, really unfortunate because that's an emotional straitjacket for men mm. and for boys because you're held to this emotional standard that you cannot meet, which is this idea that somehow we're stronger and more resilient and more rational and like, you know, than, than women. And it's just not true. It's a lie. All of the feelings I'm talking about, they're human feelings. But so many men think that they should hide them, that they're ashamed to feel them. And so they go through feeling inadequate. And that's a really, really kind of tricky place to be because you look around at all the other men and you think, hey, they all look like they're doing fine. Why is it just me who struggles with this stuff? Because they're all wearing the mask of masculinity too. Mm. And I think that makes it doubly difficult. And for a lot of guys, like when your partner's not happy with you, you feel like you've failed as a man. Like it, like it really, really gets to us. But often like admitting to our partner that because they're not happy about something we did that we feel so small, like that's a really, really challenging thing to admit. And that means that we don't share it. We maybe we shut down or maybe we say something kind of, you know, pointed to kind of ward them away from, you know, how vulnerable we actually feel. And that just makes the problem worse and we get caught in a real spiral. And so I think that's true for a lot of men, that that's something they really grapple with. Mm. And they can't always, you know, feel like, like it's something that's easy to open up with their friends, like, because they're not sure how that'll be accepted. Or maybe at school, they remember being bullied for it or watching other kids get bullied for being vulnerable. We can have quite a phobic reaction. It's like, it's not safe to let your guard down. Um, you're actually just going to get more, you know, wounded or something's going to be said that you're going to find even more difficult to hear. So it's not easy for guys. Um, so in some sense, we're dealing with the same emotional issues that all human beings experience, but with this layer of shame attached to the top. Because, you know, it's not that women don't experience shame in the world too. There's a whole lot of things that women get shamed for. And, you know, having to be, you know, look a certain way and like, you know, be the perfect mother and, and like all of these different roles they have to fill, which are really contradictory. For me, and there's basically one rule, which is don't be vulnerable. I mean, that's often the message we get. Do you see that changing at all? Do you see societal change at all in that sense? You know, where obviously there's a lot more increased awareness around it, but do you, do you see it in practice? Yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely a lot better now than it was when I was a boy and a young man growing up. Like, I mean, things like John Kerwin talking openly about depression, um, things like Gumboot Friday with Mike King kind of like sort of saying, hey, these are things that happen for men. Mm. Like, I think it's improving, but at the same time, 
uh, like you're still going to get those messages, you know, harden up. Like it's not like that message has gone away. There's now multiple messages about what kind of man you can be, which in some ways is just as confusing to kind of make sense of as like, what does masculinity mean to me? What kind of man do I want to be? Do I want to be like the men sort of in the past or do I actually want to try and do something different? And so I do see young men now who have friendships where they actually can share some of this with with particular friends but it's not like there still won't be situations where men still get kind of i don't know the sense that being tender or vulnerable is, is kind of not quite cool and i mean it, it breaks my heart to see it you know mm. um but i i do see the change too so you know i'm encouraged but there's still lots of young men who are really struggling with this too mm. so you know um all oh. progress is good but there's a long way to go Paul, and I'll get a final question in here of how should people in your eyes view counselling at the end of the day? How should they view it? Mm. Mm. Well, I guess the way I would like them to view it is something that it's it's kind of manly to actually access. Like to a certain extent, going against like the script we have that says that we're meant to be stoic and together and never say we're sorry and all, all those kind of messages we can get. The men who choose to go against that and to kind of open up, I see that as real heroism. Like we're changing the story so that our sons and our daughters can actually have a different experience of men in their life where men are emotionally available, where, you know, that they can feel and show the love they feel for their children directly to them. Um, like, I, I think that's that's actually heroism because it takes courage, emotional courage. And so I really want like, men to sort of see that counselling is a place or therapy can be a place that kind of enables them to do that, to be the kind of man they want to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's a that's a really lovely way to way to summarize that Paul and I want to thank you for your time and for explaining what you do you know helping people and men out there so uh, I'd just like to express my my thanks for for coming on and sharing a bit of your time and profession with us you're most welcome hey thanks for making it to the end and I hope you enjoyed this episode please remember to subscribe and share this podcast to your mates or across social media so we can get these conversations out there have a good one